0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, especially these words. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That text that you just heard is a nice little understanding of what every pastor is seeking to do when he is preaching a sermon. To preach the Scriptures, to highlight that the Scriptures are ultimately about Jesus, and to preach the cross, and to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So what we're going to do today is we're going to use a verse, another passage, to kind of illustrate this. I'm going to use a passage that is probably one of the most wildly abused verses in the Bible. In fact, at this time of the year, it is especially abused. And the reason is, is because on uh, the third week of May is graduation. And I know it's crazy thinking about May and there's snow outside. But when graduation comes, people are go out to get cards for their kids or grandkids, or whoever, and they might go to a Christian bookstore or whatever, or go across the Christian greetings cards, and they will have this Bible verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven you'll see those passages on the cards, and I'm going to tell you that if you see a card with that verse, go get another card. Not because there's anything wrong with the verse, but because the verse is not very well used for a graduation situation. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to show you why it's a little unhelpful. Because first off, is it gives the impression that that Bible verse is about you. And it's not. But I'm going to get to that a little bit. But the other thing is you read that in the context of a graduation, you're going to say, Oh, God has promised me a great future after graduation. I'm going to have all my dreams fulfilled. And you think that's crazy. Well, listen to what Joel Osteen A pastor of 40,000 people says about this verse. God created you to be successful. Before the foundation of the world, he laid out an exact plan for your life. And in this plan, he has marked moments that are going to come across your path. These moments are not ordinary. They are destiny-altering moments. They're designed to thrust you years ahead. It says in Ecclesiastes that time and chance come together for every person. That means you have opportunities to meet the right people, opportunities to advance in your career, and opportunities to fulfill your dreams. Well, doesn't that sound nice? Who wouldn't want to hear that? My dreams are going to be fulfilled. Of course you want to hear that on a graduation. Nobody wants to hear your dreams may fall apart. We'd love to hear that. The only problem with it is that's not truth with Scripture because God never ever promises that any of your dreams are going to come true. And it's not in line with this verse. When you read a Bible verse, what's important is to read its context. So let's step backwards, just one verse. Actually, just read the whole paragraph. Jeremiah, beginning at verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. Right there tells you something very important. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Babylon. None of you? Okay, good. If any of you raised your hand, I'd be wanting to know either you're an ancient alien who lived a really long time, or you discovered a DeLorean, or the um, Bill and Ted's phone booth, whatever, and you went back in time. No, Babylon doesn't exist anymore. It's been long extinct. It is in the location where Babylon was, is in modern day Iraq, but Babylon itself is gone. But notice, this is letting you know when 70 years are completed for Babylon, for or 70, 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. Right away, this is telling you, Jesus, the Lord Yahweh, is not talking to you. He's talking to people in Babylon or who are about to go to Babylon. So it says, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This, the last verse of that paragraph in the first verse, makes it very clear it's not talking to you. And even more so, the word you in the Hebrew, kind of one of the disadvantages of the English language. I think, actually, I kind of wish that our Bibles would just be written a little southern, and we just started including y'all. So that way you know when it's supposed to be a plural you. This is a plural you. It's not talking to an individual. It's talking to a group of people. So... Notice this passage is written to people in Babylon who are about to be in Babylon in exile. This is Jeremiah delivering this passage to these people who have been absolutely rebellious to God, rebellious to His Word, who have refused to follow Him, refused to believe in Him only, and decided to follow all sorts of different gods, and God is saying enough You're going into exile. You are going to go spend time in Babylon. But here, verse 11 is telling them, you're not going to stay there. But notice he says 70 years, which means some of the people won't see the end of those 70 years. Some people might be already in their 80s and 90s hearing this, which means they're going to be long dead before this hope comes. He's talking to a specific people in a specific place in a specific time. Whenever you read a Bible verse, it is always very important to understand what's going on around the verse. Read the context. Don't read just one verse. Read the paragraph. That's why even you get portals of prayer, do you ever notice... They always have an assigned reading, not just the little verse there. They actually want you to go pull out your Bible and read more of the passages so you know what that verse is about, so you don't get it wrong. So this verse, like I said, it's not written to you. It's written for you, but not to you. It's not even about you but it does have something to say to you. See, the reason why God is preserving these people is not because they're such wonderful, faithful people. In fact, the very reason they're going into exile is because they are not faithful people. It's because they are rebellious. But God made a promise. And I'm talking about a promise he made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. A promise... Of an offspring. A promise an offspring that would crush the serpent's head. That offspring has not been born, had not been born yet. The northern kingdom was just as rebellious as the southern kingdom. And they too, they were conquered. They were destroyed by the Assyrians. The northern kingdom was destroyed to such a degree. That no one knows where their descendants are. In fact, you could be a descendant of the northern kingdom, and you wouldn't know it. That is how severe the wrath of the Assyrians was. But God did not allow that for the southern kingdom. He protected them. Not because they were so good, but because God was keeping his promise. For within the southern kingdom was the line to that offspring. The line to the one that he promised to Adam and Eve. You see, it is still all about Jesus. That's who Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is about. It's about God keeping his promises. It's about God keeping his promise of sending a salvation of sending a Christ. Sending a Messiah. Sending one who would bring them a future and a hope. In the short term, it's the promise that they would go back to Jerusalem. But the long term, it's the promise that they would return to heaven. That, they would, that Jesus would come. That the Christ would come. And they would have eternal life. That's what God is telling them. He's keeping there. Keeping his promise. So there is something for us. I mean, there you have it. There's where it is about Jesus. As Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's about verse 44 of today's gospel lesson. That's what that verse is about. It's about God keeping his promise that was written in the prophets and written by Moses. When he says the law of Moses, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Pentateuch. You know, Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about. The promise made there was fulfilled in Jesus. So, what is it about? What does it say about us? See, the people of Israel were forced into exile because of their disobedience to God. And to give you an understanding, this is why it does not work very well for a graduation card. Is because high school is tough. I'll admit to that. There are difficulties. But it is nowhere compared to being led into exile. To give you perspective, what happened was was Babylon came to Jerusalem, destroyed the entire city, and forced every single one of them to those who were left, the remnant, as they are called, the remnant were forced to leave Jerusalem and walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. To give you perspective, that's like walking from here to Chicago. So the only way that that verse works well for graduation is if at the end of the graduation, a bunch of soldiers came in, broke in, and kidnapped every single one of the graduates and forced them to walk from here to Chicago. Then that verse might have some re- little bit closer application. High school is not that ha- hard. <laughs> difficult, yes, not that difficult. But instead, we look at this passage. And there is a foreshadowing, and it's an image of all of us. All of us are ultimately in exile. We are not in Babylon, but we are all ultimately born in an exile. We are born in a sin-fallen world. In a world where people get sick. In a world where people die. That is the reality of our world. We are in exile. And we are in exile because of our sin. The sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve and the sin which we willingly and freely, continuously participate in. We never relent from it. We are fully guilty. What the, the apostles said in Acts chapter 3 when they said to the crowd that you are the ones that that you delivered him over, even after Pilate demanded his release, you insisted he be crucified. You let a murderer go instead of Christ. The words, while we did not exactly do those exact things, it could be said that we crucified Jesus with our sins with our transgressions. We are guilty. We are in exile on account of our guilt. But the thing is, is at the end of 70 years, or 60 or 50 or 40 or 30, we have no idea how many years our exile will last. For some, it's short. For some, it's many. God promises to promises welfare. not Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now this isn't a future and a hope in this life. This isn't a future of that you're going to get money or that everything's going to go wonderful in your life. Because the Bible never gives any such promise. Because notice... Jesus said that you're going to begin from Jerusalem. You're going to go to the very city where they are going to hunt you down and desire your death. Or even Ecclesiastes, which Joel Osteen decided to quote, which is why, showing, don't ever listen to anything from, trust me, Joel Osteen is a really bad religious diet. He He could absolutely shipwreck your faith. But, he quoted Ecclesiastes, but if you read the rest of it, what does Solomon say about everything? Everything is what? Meaningless. And he even laments about the fact that all the wealth that you may gain will one day be given to somebody who doesn't deserve it, who will waste it away. So he quoting Ecclesiastes about the accomplishing of your dreams really doesn't help. Because Solomon had everything and he was lamenting that it was all worthless. So does it really help you? No, the promise of God is a hope in the life of the world to come. See, the reason why the people of Israel were preserved, the reason why that southern kingdom, while the kingdom of Judea, or the Judah, sorry, while they, they were preserved was because within them was the Christ. The line to Christ who would suffer on the cross, who would die and shed his blood for you and for me, who would on the third day rise from the dead, on account of whom repentance of sins would be made. That we repent of our sin and receive forgiveness of sins. And by that forgiveness, wherever there is forgiveness of sins, There is life everlasting. That is what the advantage of that, what that passage is about. It is preparing for Jesus. It is preparing for salvation. It's not helpful on a card unless you're going to write a sermon out on your card to explain the passage. Because I guarantee it, most kids are going to read and go, oh, I'm going to get rich. They're not going to read, oh, God was saving Jerusalem, Israel, so that I, that Jesus may come and die for me, that I may have forgiveness in life. Very unlikely they're gonna come to that conclusion. It'd be awesome if they did. If they did, they should go become a pastor. Or they're really, really listening to their pastor. One of the two. But that is what it's about. God is in control. God has been planning from the foundations of the world for your salvation. And he did it through Jesus. Therefore, we confess of our sin. We repent of it. And we receive forgiveness on account of the blood shed by Jesus. And we are called to confess it. Beginning not in Jerusalem, but in Ida County, where it is the hardest, because those are the people you love the most and know you the best. It's difficult, but it's the one that I guarantee if you look inside, look at your heart, look in your mind, you know it's the one you need to do the most. It's not easy, but that's what you're here to do, to proclaim repentance, and the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus until he returns and brings you a future and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.